Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. B -b -b bullshit. This makes no fucking sense. It's just bullshit. Fuck. Bullshit is bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. Welcome back to the Bullshit Filter, episode 3.15, Ray. I concur. Little flower. Our dog is here. <laughs> Our dog. <laughs> it's got to be better than little flower. Whatever. Uh, well, in our last episode, where did we get up to? We, we finished the Harry Anslinger arc. Um Last time uh, with Harry being surrounded by a bunch of smart people at Playboy, <laughs> uh, he just wanted to look at boobies, but they were making him uh, account right. for his crock of shit that he had sold America and the world, and he didn't he didn't fare very well at all. No, no. But again, like you said last time, his legacy unfortunately is still with us. Indeed. Yeah. Well, in this episode, we're going to talk about the man who uh, took Harry's uh, bone, the bone that Harry threw him, mm -hmm. and he ran. He ran with that bone, turned into a steak. Hard, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. We've mentioned him briefly before. His name was Arnold Rothstein. Right. I was going to say because um, you can't talk about the history of drugs. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, you mentioned the cops. You mentioned the uh, the politicians. You mentioned Harry Anslinger. You mentioned the doctors and the victims or whatever. But no story like this would be complete without the drug dealers. How they fit into it. How they got an opportunity to come into it because of people like Harry. Because of his laws. There's a situation that's been created, but it takes an intelligent mind to take advantage of chaos indeed and you know we've all grown up associating the words drug dealers with evil scum right i think that's a connection that most people with drug dealers are bad guys we've watched hollywood movies where drug dealers are bad guys we watch breaking bad we've watched all this stuff mm -hmm. but if we if we stop and try and wind back the clock and think about the world before Harry Ansling. Mm -hmm. We realize that drugs aren't bad. Right. Drugs, um, uh, 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 what, are the, what is that quote from that la the last show, you know, the LaGuardia Report, um, sense of adequacy? Adequacy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marijuana. Drugs, drugs are a tool mm -hmm. that people use. Um, to either make them feel make them feel better, basically, either to make them feel happy, to give them certain uh, uh, pleasurable experiences, whether it's a spiritual experience or experience of laughter or just reducing anxiety, or just to help them get through the day, stop thinking about their problems, etc. So drugs aren't bad, right? Which means drugs are good. <laughs> now the government stopped people from having drugs. Mm -hmm. So if you stop somebody from having something that's good, you are by definition bad. Part of the problem. Right. So drugs are good. Government stop people from having drugs. So government is bad. Drug dealers 
help people get the thing that makes them feel good. Right. If you help somebody get something that makes them feel good, you are by definition doing good and are thereby morally good. Very Socratic. Thank you. So, not really. I'd be asking you questions and you'd be answering me if it was Socratic. But this is the short short version. (laughs) I'm just skipping to the chase. Yeah. because I know if I asked you questions, you'd go Roosevelt, and I'd go, okay, fuck it, just let me do it. Um, so, <laughs> so it's like when I'm making love to Chrissy, and I'm like, you know, tell me how big my penis is, and she takes to like, I'll go, look, I'll just say it for you. Oh, you're so big, you're so big. Oh, it feels so good. Let me just, let me just do it for you. No. Um, you can't say that anymore. You can't say because she's going to start listening I to know, the show. I just, I was I just thought say, that. I was going to say, can she roll her eyes Shit. and have an orgasm at the same time? But I'm not going to say it. Can you <laughs> just edit this out? Just remember to edit this bit out, right? There's no way. I don't want to ever hear this. I get into so much trouble. Um, where was I with that? Oh, yeah. So I, that's. I, I, I want you to think about deeply about that, listeners. Mm-hmm. Drug dealers aren't bad. They're good. Now, okay, they kill people. That's bad. <laughs> that, but that's, that makes them bad because they're murderers. Right. Not because they're selling drugs. The selling of the drugs is good. Murdering people, okay, that's bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just wanted to point that out. Now, Arnold Rothstein. Now, in a previous episode when I briefly mentioned him, I said that... Um, the character of Hyman Roth in The Godfather Part Two was, was based on Arnold Rothstein. Somebody correctly pointed out that was wrong. Hyman Roth is based on Meyer Lansky, not Rothstein. Mm. But in the film, the reason I got confused is in the film, actually in a deleted scene from the film, wow. Roth says that he took his name, well, Roth takes his name, any fuck, I'll just play it. Listen to this. So his his original name is um, Hyman Sukowski. Here he is talking to young Vito Corleone, played by Robert De Niro, and a young Clemenza, played by that other guy. Hey, what's uh, what's your name? Sukowski. Hyman Sukowski. Yeah, but uh, we're gonna dump that. Uh, I call him Johnny Lips. Well, uh, yeah, we give him a better name. Uh, Who's the greatest man to you in the whole world? Hey, come on, Hyman. Answer Mr. Corleone when he talks. Yeah, who is it? Is it uh, Columbus, uh, Marconi, uh, Garibaldi? Arnold Rothstein. Arnold Rothstein. Rothstein. I like that. Allora. And we call you uh, Hyman Rothstein. So there you go. That's how Hyman Roth got his name. Nice. Yeah. Now, when uh, he was a toddler, his father uh, saw him standing over his sleeping brother with a knife. Fuck. Now, which reminds me of Fox. Uh, <laughs> what is he doing now? Pretty sure. Uh, he just comes into our bedroom in the middle of the night and then tries to kick me out of the bed so he can <laughs> cuddle his mother. Pretty sure he's going to stab me to death one of these days and try and make out with his mother. He's got this whole Oedipus thing going on, man. It's fucking That's ruining hot. my sleep. <laughs> well, yeah, he thinks so. Uh, 
God, I won't tell you about some of the stuff he tries to do to us. Save, save it for Europe. Save it for Europe. Yeah, you'll probably get to see it in Europe. <laughs> um, <laughs> and as a small boy, he was a freak uh, with mathematics. So there was obviously something strange about Arnold from a very early age. Yeah. Like a little rain man, except for the price of candy bars. <clears throat> <laughs> Did I have a clip of that somewhere? <laughs> well, I got a Rain Man clip I used to have. Oh, here we go. Uh oh. Yeah, of course I, What is this, Ray? Of course I don't have my toothpicks. No, you don't need toothpicks. I was okay in the hotel last night with the pizza, but in a restaurant you need a fork. Of course I don't have my toothpicks. You don't need toothpicks, Ray. The pancakes keep sliding off. You can eat with a fork. I don't have my maple syrup either. I'm gonna be without my maple syrup and my, and my toothpicks. When did Tom Cruise start making good movies? When did he stop? Yeah, like Rain Man, man. It was a great fucking movie. Yeah, the Last like, Samurai just... was awesome. Oh, I haven't seen oh, you that. Guys... Was it really? Oh, it was good. Oh, yeah. It was good. Really? Okay. Yeah. He made Born on the Fourth of July, which was a great movie. Yeah. But then he just, in these days, he's just like Mission Impossible 12. Yeah, but he's getting 20 to $30 million dollars per film. So he, he, he's doing okay. He's okay. Yeah. 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 Yes, he, he needs that to buy off all of the all of his ex wives and make sure they don't talk about the fact that he's a allegedly gay and b this crazy shit that goes on in Scientology. Right. Um, <clears throat> anyway, at the age of twelve, um, his father, uh, who was a respected member of Manhattan's Jewish community, he was a wealthy cotton goods dealer known as Abe the Just, Aww. because. People would come to him if they needed things settled, and he was like the godfather. He'd be like, oh, well, you know, I think that uh, you should give that to him and him to that. But he did it with a Jewish accent. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I'll get in all sorts of trouble. No. And like I just do my Woody Allen impersonation. It'll be safe. It'll be fine. Yeah, sure. And, and like you were saying a second ago, um, uh, he was very good at math, and he was very good at figuring out the odds on things. It's just, just the his brain worked, and you, you just get the sense that he can be very analytical, and he's going to use that as he gets older. Oi, they! <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no dear now, God. from the age of 12, as I said, he, he knew his father wouldn't dream of carrying cash mm-hmm. uh, from the close of business on Friday night. Uh, to the end of the Sabbath the next day. Sure. Wouldn't carry it around Devout. because that would be against right. the, the, the something to do with the Torah. So Arnold would steal the father's money oh. from his wallet, his takings from his business on the Friday, right. steal it from his wallet, go out and play craps with it um, on Friday night, and he would win so much money that he would be able to replace the cash and keep the profits and no one would notice. Oh, God. Now, so he was taking an in- interest, yeah. a 24-hour interest-free <laughs> loan from his father. That's good business. To and, get to gamble with, yeah. And, and like, we, um, like j- just to give you uh, an, uh, some context for this guy, his father, you know, they came over in the 1880s. They were getting away from the anti-Jewish mobs in Russia. His father starts out sewing caps together, works his way up in the garment trade, and later on becomes a very wealthy cotton goods dealer. So his father worked worked hard, persevered, kept his nose clean, and became literally like a judge for the community because he was so straight and narrow. 
for whatever reason, however this happens, the son, you know, was very different from his father, and he, he's going to start making his own way, even defying his father by stealing his money, but he's going to make his own way in the world, and, and unfortunately for him, he is he's a very intelligent person. Yeah, very intelligent, very straight-laced, um, as we'll see, but uh, he leaves home at 17 to become a traveling salesman and professional gambler. <laughs> One of his one of his quotes I liked is there are two million fools to one brainy man, and he then started to call himself the brain. He <laughs> told everyone to refer to him as the brain, yeah, which is what I prefer to be um, called as well. Just the brain, yeah. Uh, what about you, Ray? What's your nickname? <sighs> the brain with the big dick. <laughs> How did I know you were going there? Everyone listening to this knew you were going it there. Doesn't it doesn't matter. So... It doesn't matter. Why do you think I married a virgin? You know why I said that? Because Heather doesn't listen to the show. Mm, yeah. Yet. <laughs> Tri- tripod, which you tripod. like to be called. So uh, during these years, Arnold learned the number one rule of gambling. The only way to win every time is to own the casino. (laughs) So he set up a series of underground gambling dens across New York City. Mm -hmm. And and when one would get busted, he would just set up another one in a different location, pick up where they left off, spread the word. It was like the dark net before the dark net. Um, there would just be this never-ending sort of craps gambling game that would run around New York City from one shadowy venue to another. And he carried his cash with him. Apparently, he would carry up to $100,000 at a time to Ooh. use as the float. Obsessively counted the money. Um, he apparently had this very tactile relationship with cash. Yeah. He loved it. He communicated with it. By the way, um, if anyone listening to this has watched um, uh, that, uh, uh, what's that Steve Buscemi TV show that I haven't watched? Empire. Um, yes, Empire. Mm-hmm. Broad, broad, Broadwalk. Broadwalk. Broad, broad something like Empire. Can, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I watched some of the first season. It was it was okay, but I just uh, never got around to watching the whole thing. I really should do it. But uh, I think it was in the first, first the episodes that I did watch anyway, the first couple of episodes, Arnold Rothstein appears in that. Oh, wow. Um, he, with the young Lucky Luciano. He's um, a gambler at one of uh, Nucky's joints. That's Steve Buscemi's character, one of Nucky's joints. And, uh, you know, the, the, he... Takes he wins too much money and Nucky gets called in to basically sort of shut him off. He's played by the actor Michael Stuhlbarg in Broadwalk Empire, mm. um, <clears throat> who was recently in the uh, uh, film Call Me by Your Name, which won a lot of uh, uh, mm-hmm. awards. He's just in The Shape of Water. All right. He's in a serious man. Fuck, this guy's in everything. Damn. Everything that's good, this guy's in. He was in the most recent season of Fargo, uh, if you've watched that, um, the one with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, playing the twin brothers. He was his business partner, Cy Feltz. Fucking great performance. Wow. 
Um, I don't know if you watched yeah. Fargo, but fucking Fargo, man. Oh, the TV series of Fargo is just so good. So good. Just so well executed. Astoundingly good. Let's try that out. Um, anyway, oh, just do it, man. It's well, fucking great. Stop stop recording this show right now and <laughs> Clint, go and I'm do gonna, it. I'm going to leave it recording and I'm just going to walk away. So, no, I just wanted to mention, so you've mentioned Arnold uh, Rothstein. You mentioned him in that show. You mentioned him in The Godfather, even though the scene was cut or whatever. But the reason we know this guy, not just because he was a good criminal, because you would think a good criminal would like do his thing and lay low. But that's not the way Rothstein was. He bragged about it. He invited the press to come and talk to him and interview him. He was he was literally this big man and he wanted to be seen as a big man because he literally thought he was smarter than everybody else. He could get away with anything. So he's very condescending. But again, he just put it out there, balls out there. And so that's one of the main reasons we know him. Besides Besides being a very good criminal, he was a very just outgoing person, and he bragged about what he did. Classic psychopath mm. uh, behavior, i got to say. Just very high-risk uh, appetite, believes he's get away with anything because he's smarter than everyone. It's, it's part of your, your – t- and, and no empathy. Right. Um, cla- classic characteristics of a psychopath. Uh, he's, he met his future wife at a party and told her he was a sporting man. She l- later wrote a biography or an autobiography, um, and she said, uh, I thought that a sporting man was one who hunted and shot. It wasn't until later that I learned all a sporting man hunted was a victim with money and all he shot was craps. <laughs> And, and the one thing you need to know about Rothstein is that as much money as he has, he likes, like you said, he has a tactile relationship. He likes to touch it. He likes to feel it. He likes to count it constantly over and over and over again. For whatever reason, the way his brain works, maybe he's trying to prove something to his dad or whatever, but he cannot have enough money. He's always going for the bigger and better deal. Can I just say that craps is the dumbest game I've ever seen? Huh. You're putting money on rolling dice. Right. That's about as dumb as you can fucking get, really. So there's no skill involved. You just roll and hope it turns up the way you need it to turn up? Because there's nothing you can do to make it. Well, I'm sh- I have no idea. Yeah, I'm sure that, yeah. that you play the psychology, mm-hmm. like poker, really, which is also based pretty Playing much on the luck. Odds. But yeah. Playing the odds and also the psychology of the people around the table. Right. Yeah, but again, it's just like dumbest, dumbest fucking game. Anyway, um, on the night of their wedding, he told her that he would need to pawn her engagement ring <laughs> to free up funds. So, husband of the year, uh, this guy. I love this story that uh, was in a book I read. Um, one day, a gambler who uh, wanted to borrow some money from Rothstein, called him up long distance. Mm-hmm. It was back in the days when you had to go through a switch operator to, to connect with people. Rang him up, said he's broke, desperately needs $500 to get back into a game. Arnold just keeps going, I can't hear you. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. Um, and then the, until the operator interrupted and said, but Mr. R- Mr. Rothstein, I can hear him distinctly. He said, all right, you give him the money then and hung up. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't give out money. He collects money. It's a one-way street. Now, he started paying jockeys at racetracks to throw races. Right. And that worked, so he keeps taking it to a higher and higher level until, as I think I mentioned in an earlier episode, 
he is the guy that everyone thinks uh, uh, f- fixed, that's the word I'm looking for, fixed the 1919 World Series. Yeah, the World War One's about to end. People want to be distracted. They want to go back to normalcy. So everyone is excited about this. They just want to forget everything. You've got the uh, White Sox, which are everyone is predicting is going to win to beat the Cincinnati Red. The point is everybody just wants to forget all the shit, place a couple of bets, watch the series, and have a great time. So what happened, Ray? Um, from what I gather, Rothstein paid eight White Sox players to throw the game. I don't know if you want to go into all the, the different games or whatever, but um, but but he, again, you don't have to pay the entire team. You just pay the right people, the pitcher, the people in certain positions. And what happened was the owner of the team, even though the, the White Sox were having a fantastic year that year, some of the people on the team were paid very low wages by their uh, owner. And, and again, this goes back to economics 101. If you're the owner, you pay your people shit and that way you increase your profits. And so it was very easy for Rothstein, allegedly, I think I should say, to come in and to offer these people a heck of a lot of money compared to what they were being paid to listen to his plan to throw the game. Yeah. I mean, that's basically the story as I gather. Now, Rothstein always denied that he was the guy behind it. He said that maybe some other guys did it and used his name, but it's generally understood that he was the guy that orchestrated uh, this and um, made a ton of money out of it. Um, So uh, eight players, as a result, were charged with fraud, um, eight of the eight White Sox players, but all were mysteriously acquitted. Er Yeah, well, the theory is that Arnold had bought off enough cops and judges Mm -hmm. that uh, he could pretty much get away with anything, and his co-conspirators would get away with it as well. What you're saying is he could shoot somebody on New York Avenue and not lose any votes. That sounds familiar. I'm not uh, I'm sure I can place no, that quote. But for him, it was literally, uh, we'll get into this later, but this guy made so much money, you get cops on the payrolls, and then later on you get the chief of police, and then later on you get politicians. This guy had everybody that he needed to out to be on a payroll. Yeah. And he got handed, apart from his gambling interests, he, he ended up getting handed... Two of the largest industries in America were tax-free. <laughs> the first was prohibition. Right. So he immediately uh, realized that prohibition was going to be a big money maker. The people were going to keep drinking yeah. during prohibition. So all he had to do was be the guy that sold them the booze and he would make a shit ton of money. Um, the yeah, he realized that people are always going to want to drink or get high, and if they can't do it legally, they're going to do it illegally. Yeah. It's not rocket science, <laughs> right? It's not. So uh, he decided yeah. uh, that's the business that he was going to get into. So he basically was the mastermind behind uh, the booze business in uh, during Prohibition. And uh, you're working with Lucky Luciano and these guys uh, 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 made a shit ton of money. 
But he, he kind of knew it wasn't going to last forever. Mm-hmm. I've actually got a, a quote from him here uh, recording. Come in the morning. You know, one time we had a hail bomb for 12 hours. When it was all over, I walked up. We didn't find one of them, not one stinking dink body. Smell! You know that gasoline smell? The whole hill. Smells like victory. Someday this war is going to end. Can't tell you how much I love that fucking scene, man. Oh, I, I don't know about the brain, but they should have called him the Crystal Ball because he even had his own his had his own opinion about prohibition. Do you have that quote? Uh, well, uh, well, I've got quotes, but you read me your quotes. Okay. See if it's the same. Quote. So he says, um, so he, yeah, so like you said, he spotted the opportunity of prohibition. He says prohibition is going to last a long time, and then one day it will be abandoned. He tells his associates, but it's going to be with us for quite a while. That's for sure, and I can see that more and more people are going to ignore the law and we can make a fortune meeting this need. So like you said, people are going to not give up their daily routine or weekly, you know, the weekend routine of getting, getting high, getting a little buzz from alcohol. He's going to be the man that supplies it. Yeah. That's why I played the clip. Yeah. Someday this war's going to end. Yeah. It's going to last one day. It'll be abandoned, but let's make money out of it while we can. <laughs> and he also realized that if you have a monopoly on supplying the booze, oh. you can water it down because people will pay whatever they need to pay to get whatever they can get. Yeah. So he would water it down. You know, sometimes they would sell stuff that was shit and would poison people, but it didn't matter. Yeah. He didn't really care about that. Uh, buyer beware, he made a fortune out of it. Yeah. And then when... F.D. Roosevelt realized that the United States Treasury needed to tax booze again to get out of the Depression. (laughs) Rothstein turned to drugs, but not taking drugs, selling drugs. Right. And he kind of realized that they would stay prohibited for a lot longer. Yeah. Now, at first there were small-time street peddlers controlling the trade. And they got their supply in a couple of different ways. They would stage heists of legal opiates as they were being delivered to places like hospitals Mm -hmm. or they would order the finished product in bulk from supplies in Mexico or Canada. But Congress started cracking down on this in the early 20s. Rothstein saw the bigger opportunity. He realised that you could actually set up your own manufacturing on an industrial scale as well as smuggling and do it big time. So he sent his guys to Europe where they would buy the precursors, the ingredients in bulk, um, and where there were factories that could still legally make heroin because they hadn't caught up with the US laws. Right. And he would get it shipped over and then cut and distributed to street sellers. So he invented the modern drug 
operation, Arnold Rothstein. Nice. This guy saw an opportunity. Now, like you were saying, you know, so so you do all this work, you get it out on the streets. But again, even when you're the point of contact with the customer, all that stuff has to be organized and it, it needs to be protected because even though if I sell you bad liquor, you, you're not going to go to the cops and complain about it because you can't. But the point is, your stuff still is, um, it still could be, you know, you still could be robbed or whatever. So you've got to be organized and you've got to have protection. And he even comes up with a new way to provide protection on the streets for his new enterprise. Which was what? Sh- drug gangs, the modern drug gangs. Not just the the sixteen year old kids who would hang around on the street corner and and yell at some girl or maybe fight with each other. Uh, the gangs would fight with each other on the weekends over a certain corner. He's talking about real, organized, almost disciplined, like military units gangs who are going to keep this shit focused. He hasn't got time for drama. He hasn't got time for trouble. All that matters to him, as we said before, is the bottom line. It's about selling, selling, selling. Making money. <laughs> and so by the mid-1920s, he uh, controlled the entire trade in heroin and cocaine on the eastern seaboard of the United States. Oh, damn. But he himself didn't use drugs, no. didn't drink, didn't smoke, don't get high on your own supply, <laughs> didn't even chew gum. Nope. He was like Hitler, this guy. <laughs> straight, straight-laced and Donald Trump. Too. Donald Trump, same, right? Yeah. Doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't do drugs. He bang- doesn't let prostitutes well. pee on him in a bed. Um, Bangs women, pretends they're his daughter, but no, definitely not to the alcohol. Yeah. Everyone, everyone needs a, a vice. That's his. <laughs> Pretending he's having sex with his daughter. No. Come on. Don't tell me you haven't done that. Don't tell me you haven't. I look into imagined. a mirror. It's when you're myself. banging. When you're. When you're banging a goat and the paddock, you don't secretly imagine it's the daughter you still haven't sent me a photo of yet, your second eldest daughter. What's that song, I Touch Myself? Oh, God, I can't remember it now. When I think- oh, I remember it. Classic Australian song by the Divinals. R.I.P. She passed away a few years ago. Aww. Chrissy, uh, much, much loved uh, Australian uh, songstress. Right. Very slutty and sexy was her thing in the 80s. Yeah. Um, she had she sort of slutty eyes and lips. She wasn't very attractive, but she had this like, Didn't come matter. fuck me yeah. uh, thing yeah. going on. That's all you need. Um, by the way, speaking of uh, <laughs> songs... 
want to give a shout out to uh, Mark McCallum. Uh-huh. Our, lis- our listener from, I think he's in uh, New South Wales, Newcastle, New South Wales. Um, I posted, it was bugging me a couple of days ago. I was trying to remember the name of a, a guy, one hit wonder from the 80s. Right. Fucking spent half an hour trying to work it out. Google, nah, Spotify, nah, my brain, nah. Um, so I phoned a friend. I jumped on Facebook. I said, what was the name of that guy? Long hair, guitarist, singer, oh, released his that. first album when he was 18 yeah. in the late 80s, disappeared afterwards. You know, that guy. Yeah. Within three minutes, <laughs> Mark McCallum replied, Charlie Sexton. I was like, yes, fucking Charlie Sexton. Oh, my uh, God. Like, holy shit. Uh, how did you come up with that? And he said, yeah, yeah I always liked that song. <laughs> and... He said uh, that's why he enjoys listening to the shows because uh, we play great tunes. <laughs> nice. Um, do you know Charlie Sexton, Beat heard, So Lonely? I've heard the name. Can you play a little bit of the song maybe? I, I can't remember. I can, man. Fucking funny you should ask. Drum break, classic 80s. Yeah, fake out. 80s fake out, that is. Oh, is it coming? Where's the riff? Here we go. to it once every 10 years and I can never remember who it was. I had his album at the time. I was like, it's fucking great, but no. Anywho, yeah. where did we get up to? Arnold East Rothstein Coast. something. East Coast. East Coast. Yeah, East Coast, baby. Represent. So, um, yeah, he didn't He didn't use drugs or drink or smoke. Um, and he didn't like addicts. Like what? Harry Anslinger, didn't like addicts. <laughs> if he ever found any of his guys uh, using, he would kick them straight out. Don't get high on your own supply. He was the guy who invented that. And, and the other part is and he, that, I'm sorry, just wanted to put and, – and remember at this point, this is when the Federal Bureau of Narcotics is shutting down all of these clinics, all of these doctors who are trying to help addicts, who are trying to help them get their lives back on track. Doctors are going to jail. Doctors are being shut down. Boom, there's Rothstein. 
Yeah. Harry created the market for him and he stepped right in. And he made a shit ton of money. Um, The World (laughs) newspaper reported for every $1,000 spent in purchasing opium, smuggling it into the country and dispensing it, those at the top of the pyramid collect $6,000 or more in profit. So 600% profit margin (laughs) they were making on drugs in the 20s. Now, he also realised early on uh, that with that kind of money, Mm -hmm. you can buy off police, politicians and judges. Yeah, believe it or not, the cops who are walking the beat aren't getting paid all that much either. Like some of those baseball players, that makes them susceptible. I I don't know if it's about a question of morals or whatever, but if a guy comes up and offers you five times what you normally make just to look the other way, hey – you know, you got to make a living too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Particularly when you're just supplying a product that people want. Um, even though Don Don Corleone didn't want to get into the drug business when uh, the Turk approached him about it, because you know he said, you know, I have to decline your offer, but I wish you all the best. Drugs, you know, alcohol, prostitute, gambling—these are things that uh, people don't. Uh, People don't mind. They, they, they expect, but drugs is a nasty business. But uh, I don't judge. You know, good good luck with your endeavors, and right. as long as your interests don't conflict with mine, etc. Good um, job. Thank you. But it, it 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 you know if you're a cop, uh, 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 you got to wonder if the cops really thought drugs were bad too. I'm sure they didn't. Cops didn't believe all the bullshit about. People smoking weed and becoming rapey superheroes that right. Harry had been pushing, and they, they probably saw the drink reality it, and they the probably ground. take a sip of whiskey or whatever every once in a while too during prohibition. Exactly, of yeah. course. Yeah. So this is where it all starts. Arnold realizes, man, I'm making so much money, I can buy protection from the the the, the cops, the politicians, and and the judges, and then you have to wonder. Okay, when and like we saw in that Playboy article I read out, uh, excerpts from the last episode, when you had so many people in the United States going right back to that congressman John Coffey from Seattle mm-hmm. um, back in the early '30s, through the the Williams brothers, uh, through to the guy who who testified in 1937 from the American Medical Association, all the way through who knew the, the that Williams. Harry was yeah. LaGuardia, yes, that Harry was full of shit. And yet the politicians still did nothing about it. you got to wonder how many of them were on the take. Right. Or, or like you said earlier, just taking advantage of these drug laws, keeping the undesirables down. It keeps them propped up. It keeps the people you don't like or who are different from you down. You know, it's, it's, there's other things besides money that, that motivate people. Yeah, that's right. Protecting their interests, their power right. um, is, is just as important. So uh, every time Rothstein was caught in the act of committing violence, uh, <laughs> the charges mysteriously vanished. <laughs> and, of course, this is the same thing the Mexican drug cartels do today, and, and, and they have a, a single elegant phrase for it, plato o plomo. Silver or lead, take your choice. Take take the bribe or take the bullet. 
Yeah. And I just want to add, one of the journalists wrote, uh, the police wrote it, and this is 1929, and this is about Rothstein, were as gracious to him as they were to a police commissioner. So again, this guy's got all the power, They and they treat him respect, they treat him uh, deferentially, just like the Godfather, because he's the guy with the bucks who's handing it out, and Americans respect money. Now, every now and again, there'd be a police officer who refused to take a bribe, like Frank Serpico. Right. Um, there were two detectives who broke into one of Rothstein's illegal gambling dens one oh, night, shit. and Rothstein shot at them. <laughs> because they're cops? Late, later, he said he thought they were trying to rob his illegal gambling den. Right. And the judge dismissed the case. Well, yeah, when you explain it like that. I thought they were robbing my illegal establishment off. Um, judge, that's why I shot at them. <laughs> yeah. Two cops break in. I shot the cops because I thought they were robbers. Yeah. Uh, thanks no very much. No By no the way, there's a, little, yeah. there's a little envelope on your seat for you. Um, <laughs> a journalist at the time said, what's a little pistol practice with policemen as targets when you're Arnold Rothstein? Damn. Damn. Now, did you read the story about Captain Alfred Lowenstein? I did, and it drove me crazy that I couldn't figure out the ending. Did you go deep? Did you go down the rabbit hole? I I don't know if I went as deep as you would go with um, whatever, but I, I, I clicked on a different couple of different pages trying to pull it together. But uh, uh, before we move on to uh, to the captain, again, uh, okay. Rothstein was a straight-laced guy. This was about business. This was about making money. This is about whatever. He You, you get the sense that he's, that he's up against something in his own head or whatever. He doesn't have any too many vices. He doesn't chew gum. He doesn't drink. But the part that just kind of freaked me out, I guess he didn't like his teeth. He had a dentist remove all oh. of his teeth. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry. 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 And, and put... No. Um, and put nice falsies in. So for whatever was going on with his head, he, I guess he decided to, Hey, he wanted a beautiful smile. And when you're making a 600% profit, you can afford a beautiful smile. Oh, how does that even work? How do you get them to like, did he have a plate? Did he just jam them in? I don't, I don't know. I man. don't want to, especially since this is like 1930 or whatever the hell it is. I don't want to know. It's like a mm. horror film. So, um, one day in uh, 1928, mm-hmm. 4th of July, 1928, Arnold had a meeting mm-hmm. um, uh, on East 42nd Street with a guy by the name of Captain Alfred Lowenstein, who I'd never heard of before. No, no, me neither. But uh, read up on him, fascinating character. Um, now, he and Arnold and I think Legs Diamond was also there, met apparently to talk about drugs. They were going to set up a big drug operation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I think the Captain Lowenstein, who was the richest man in Europe at the time and possibly like the third richest man <laughs> in the world behind maybe Henry Ford and the Rockefellers. <laughs> How rich was he, Cam? Uh, he was so rich. <laughs> I don't know. I should have had a. She give me some warning for that. I would have. I would have had a. a, a no, there a, is a, one. A, a there is one. Line. There is a line. Oh, what? 
what is it? He was so rich. Oh, you're talking about that's not a joke. That's real. That's okay, real, yeah. but the point the, is you go ahead. You go for a joke, yeah. yeah. No, you go. Well, I, he was so rich that he offered to buy Belgium off the Germans <laughs> during World War I. He was Belgian. He was a Belgian financier. Right. Financier. And, yeah, he said to the Germans, look, uh, how about I just buy Belgium <laughs> off you? I'll, 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 buy, I'll take it off your hands. Uh, you know, I, I, look, I've, got, I've already got one, but, you know, I could have a second one, a spare one. Um, <laughs> uh, he was actually living in England at the time, but uh, he was like, yeah, look, for old time's sake, I used to yeah. like, grow up in Belgium. Yeah. I'll just buy it off you. You know, Waterloo. I like Waterloo. It's nice to go to Waterloo. Um, yeah, he was rich. Um now, he was born to a wealthy Belgian Jewish banker. Mm-hmm. Jews come back into it. Um, I'm starting to sound like Alex Jones. Conspiracy. <laughs> about the Jews so much. Yeah. The Rothschild. Um, yeah. He was, so he was born to a wealthy banker, became a banker himself when his father died. Um, but he ended up owning all sorts of shit, mostly electricity companies across Europe and silk businesses. Wow. But at his, at his peak in the 20s, he was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He also offered to loan the Belgian government $50 million interest-free <laughs> at one point to help stabilise their currency. Right. This is in Do the 20s when this was, this was real money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, so apparently he and Rothstein met to work on the biggest drug deal in history. It was a plan to mass market a range of opiates uh, to Europe, I think. They were going to they were going to partner on selling drugs in Europe. But after they had their meeting, Lowenstein jumped back on his private plane, a Fokker F7 tri-motor with six other people, the pilot and his staff, and flew back home to Europe. Can I, before you go on, can I ask a question? If I'm like the third richest person in the world, why do I need to team up with a drug dealer, even though he's obviously made a ton of money himself, and this is probably a very good business model. He's probably, you know, written it all out and explained what they're going to do. I mean, if I've got hundreds of millions of dollars, why do I suddenly get involved with a criminal? I, I just wish we knew more about this guy, why he felt he needed or wanted to do this. Well, A, he probably just saw Rothstein as a businessman. Oh. I mean, he's just a businessman. Right. Okay, I mean, maybe it was technically illegal what he's doing, but it, as I said, it was illegal for bad reasons. Shouldn't be illegal. Right. There, 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 there are good and bad laws. There are just laws and there are unjust laws. Stopping people from getting drugs that make them feel good is an unjust law. Now, if you are uh, fighting an unjust law or disobeying an unjust law, that makes you just. Mm. You're the good guy. Even though you're breaking the law, you're the good guy and, in that scenario. And at this point, I don't think the drugs are out and out illegal in Europe, I think. Because this is the late 1920s. Well, the Geneva, the Geneva Convention on Opium uh, was around about this time from memory. Um, but anyway, it's, it's 
neither here nor there. The other reason is apparently Captain Lowenstein might have been in a bit of a financial pickle. Gotcha. He may have been incredibly heavily, heavily leveraged. Um, there are some questions about his financial situation. But generally speaking, rich people want to get richer. That's basically uh, – he was only the third richest man in the world. He's like, you know what? I'm not happy with that. There's two other cunts ahead Mama, of me. Yeah, mama didn't make no pussy. Uh, if, you're not, if you're not the lead dog in the race, the view is the same. I don't want to look at another guy's butt. Um, oh, I, I want to win. Right. Alpha man. Uh, yeah. All right. So anyway, he gets back on his plane. Uh, when the plane lands in Europe, he's not on board. Or? <laughs> uh, so apparently his staff said in the middle of the flight, he'd got up, gone to the toilet. Right. Uh, never came back. Okay. They went looking for him. Uh, kicked in the door to the toilet. He's not there. Right. On the Disappeared. In- yeah. He, he pulled a, I don't know any, I don't know any uh, magicians, but he pulled a, Whoever magician trick. So, so the evening of July fourth, nineteen twenty-eight. Learned- Dave, whoa, 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 whoa! Yeah. Have you seen that fucking video of David Blaine sewing his lips? No. Oh my god! David Blaine was on Fallon's show a week or so ago. Uh, he yeah. got a needle and thread and sewed his lips together on camera. That's. And then wait, yeah. it gets better. And okay. then after he had sewed his lips shut. He got Jimmy to pick a card out of a deck, got him to sign it, made it disappear, then cut the cotton that he'd sewn his mouth up with oh. and pulled the pulled the card from out of his mouth. Oh god. I'm still trying to get over the soda's lips together thing. I'm sorry, I'm squeamish like that. You gotta watch it, man. It's like you see Fallon and uh the guy from the roots, Questlove, freaking the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, as this guy's doing it, just fucking freaking. Uh, Questlove ran away. <laughs> he like runs away to the other <laughs> end of the theater. Fallon is like nearly fainting. That's bad juju, and, man. Yeah. Oh, it's fucking freaky. Uh, anywho, I want to. I got to look up an explanation of how he did that. Okay. So, <clears throat> so this guy disappears. Yeah. Now. His body was found right. uh, a few days later, washed up on the shore, dead. Now, there's lots of theories about what happened to him. I read a lot of the press from the time, uh-huh. uh, newspapers.com. A lot, a lot of, lot of guesses. The, the, the first one was that. His staff started saying that he was a little bit absent-minded and he might have... When you walked up the back of the plane, there was two doors. Mm-hmm. One door went to the toilet. The other door was the exit door. <laughs> and he accidentally went out the exit door. But... But experts said uh, you can't open a door. If it's, cru- if it's flying at ordinary cruising speed at whatever it was, 10,000 feet. 1,000 feet or 300 meters, 
that you can't because they had it. They had the accidents branch of the British Air Ministry using his very aircraft, and they had a ministry man throw himself against the entry door, and it opened about six inches. But he was immediately thrown back uh, into the aircraft from the slipstream because it violently slammed the door shut. So they're saying there's no way you accidentally turn left, casually open a door, and have enough force to do that and to fall out to the plane and die. So that, to them, seemed like bullshit. They're saying there's no way that could have, even if he wanted to kill himself, probably couldn't have got the door open at that speed and that altitude. Yeah. And it's not like people wouldn't have heard that happen, too. This is a small plane. This is... This is a, like a six-seater passenger plane. It's a tiny little fucking plane. I mean, I've got photos of it in front of me. It's like a little 1920s, you know, uh, Red Baron sort of fucking flying plane, you know? Right. It's, uh, it, 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 it's a little fucker. There's no, there's no way people are not going to hear a right. door open up when they're flying. And going. So what but, happened? Yeah. Well. Um, Ask a magician. Yeah, yeah, he sewed his lips together. Now, there was a researcher in the 80s who wrote a book on it. He decided that the pilot had thrown Lowenstein out of the plane Mm -hmm. in a secret deal with Lowenstein's daughter who wanted to inherit the family fortune. Fuck. Unfortunately, after he died, uh, the value of his company's shares collapsed and then it turned out he had... Huge loans, which is the reason one reason he was in the US was to borrow a shit ton of money. So, a bit like Donald Trump, he actually didn't have anything. Right. He looked rich, had a massive entourage and a fleet of planes and, and cars and yeah. villas and, and <laughs> a killer monocle and a top hat. Uh, the, he's basically the Monopoly guy. Right. You know, he was the <laughs> he was the the, the, uh, yeah, the inspiration. But but to get back to the accident for a second, according to that book written in the eighties, that the door was completely removed while in the air, and a replacement was fitted on because they landed at the beach before they got to their main uh, their their main destination. But did you ever see the movie um, Murder on the Orient, Orient Express? The new one or the old one? Either one. It doesn't really really matter. But the point is, if you have six people on a plane and the pilot gets up and throws someone out, that's even that rings bullshit with the other people not being involved. So I think maybe they were all in on it. That is the only way you could, to me, you could explain someone getting up, pushing the the, the guy off the plane and, and everyone else pretending not to know what happened. But that's just my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then 10 years after he died, his son shot one of their servants. Yeah. So there was other weird shit going on. But uh, anyway, that's that's pretty much all the story. Like, it's bizarre, still unsolved yeah. mystery, really, to this day. But Third richest man in the world, mysteriously thrown out of a plane. But like you were saying earlier, Rothstein never admitted to the 1919 World Series and this guy just happens to disappear after meeting with Rothstein. Rothstein has got a reputation for being able to do grandiose things and for making any anybody like this third richest man in the world disappear. This guy has got clout. He's got power. And you don't know it's true and you don't know it's not true. But that's the point. People fear him because of what he can really do and because of what they perceive he could do. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the suggestions is that he gave Rothstein a shit ton of money to finance this drug operation to buy his way in, mm-hmm. and then Rothstein had him killed and just kept the money. Fuck. Um, no evidence for that, as far as I'm aware, but that's one of the theories. Right. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so, you know, after the failure of Prohibition, mm-hmm. Everyone must have understood that prohibition of drugs wasn't going to work either. You know, we tried it with alcohol for 13 years. Didn't work. Failed miserably. Yeah. I know. Let's do it again. I mean, what? (laughs) Like, what are they thinking? And with prohibition, they realised, you know, they saw firsthand that, that the supply of alcohol ended up in the hands of criminals. Yeah. And so they're, they're just doing it again. Uh, they must have understood that if a popular product is criminalised, it doesn't just disappear. Criminals fill the gap. They take up the, the control of the supply and the sale of the product. Right. So it's hard to fathom how they thought it was going to be different this time around. It really boggles the mind. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if some people were thinking, okay, so now pot is illegal. Is it going to only last for a couple of years, maybe a decade, two decades, and then it will come around? But because of people like Harry Anslinger, he just kept the momentum. He kept the the scare tactics tactics up, and he had people like that judge who who tried the the uh, who convicted the two men first arrested. I mean, he had all of the right people on his side, and it, it doesn't matter that he was lying. It doesn't matter that he was making it up. He had the right kind of people on his side, and he had white America afraid, and he was able to do a lot with that. And keep in mind that Harry's FBN, he wasn't part of the criminal justice system. He was working for the United States Treasury. Right. So their job was basically to to make money and to, you know, shut down these operations that weren't uh, abiding by the tax acts by paying, you know, the the tax to Mm -hmm. prescribe or sell the drugs. The responsibility at a federal level anyway for the criminal justice stuff would have been the FBI, which was run by J. Edgar Hoover. Right. Now, J. Edgar Hoover denied the very existence of the mafia until the 60s. Oh, God. And he was only forced to do so Mm -hmm. because Bobby Kennedy, when he was the Attorney General, said, well, if you don't go after the mafia, I'm going to go after the mafia myself. And he did. He started holding Senate hearings, and which is famously, um, again, uh, uh, in The Godfather Part 2, hearings into the mafia that Michael goes into and he has Frank Prentangeli's brother come in and that kind of stuff. Um, So during this whole period through the 20s, 30s, the 40s and the 50s, when the mafia uh, are making a shit ton of money out of booze and drugs, there's no real policing against them. Wow. Uh, LaGuardia goes after them. Thomas Dewey goes after them. So there's some state-by-state-based stuff. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, J. Edgar Hoover is saying it's a myth, a racist myth against Italians. Of course, Rothstein, Rothstein, who set the whole thing up, was a Jew. We think of the mafia as being Italian. Right. Uh, back in those days, anyway, now it's more Russian mafia or, or Mexican gangs and Chinese mafia and the triads and that kind of stuff. But back then, uh, it was started by a Jew, Arnold Rothstein. So, uh, anywho, um, as you were saying before, from, from the gang's perspective, they have to worry about their own security and protection. Mm-hmm. They're, they're transporting the drugs around the country. They're selling it on the street. It's, you know, other people can knock it off. Um, they can't go to the police or the courts to get it back. So the only way to defend their property is by violence. Right. They were, they're, they're forced into violence, drug gangs, because there's so much money to be had. Yeah. Other people are going to want to take it. Again, you can't, because it's illegal what you're doing for bad reasons, you can't use the justice system, so you have to protect yourself, so you, you, it's a violence. You don't want to have a shootout every day. That's no way to run a business. So as you said earlier, you have to establish a a reputation for being terrifying. You have to get people to believe that you're so violent and brutal that they shouldn't even pick a fight with you. Yeah. And so the way that you do that is you do a few things that are attention-grabbing acts of extreme brutality, Mm -hmm. and then you don't have to do any more. It's a bit like... Julius Caesar chopping off people's hands. Yeah, when they, uh, uh, you know, he'd, he'd he'd lay siege to a village in Gaul. They'd uh, 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 surrender. He'd make a peace treaty with them. Go turn around. They'd attack him again. <sighs> yeah, he'd go back and go. All right, fool me once, shame <laughs> on you. Fool me twice, I chop your fucking hands off. <laughs> Just as a warning to everybody else, right? Don't, don't, don't fuck with me. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what these guys did too. The American sociologist, uh, sociologist Philippe Bourgeois calls it a culture of terror. Wow. And that's what that's what Rothstein and his gangs uh, learned to develop. You got to make people terrified of you. I, I know we're about to end, and so I just want to say one more thing, and then you can wrap up, whatever. So so to sum up what you were just saying a couple of minutes ago, so the criminals, so the, the doctors who were trying to help people have been shut down. The criminals are taken over. Um, FBI is not really doing much about the mafia. FBI doesn't, won't even admit that, they, that they're there. And so for these people get to take over, make a shit ton of money, bribe people, they get so well entrenched and the government is not even doing a good job of enforcing the law that they shouldn't have passed in the first place. And so the mafia gets a couple of decades head start in one of the greatest enterprises that should have never existed in American history. Two of them. Excuse me. Two of them. And the money that the mob are making should be going back into the community. Mm Mm-hmm. For, for selling first booze and drugs, as FDR worked out, and well, let's tax this shit. Yeah. Um, would, would be interesting to see what would have happened if FDR had survived again 
if he would have uh, gone, no, 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 <laughs> prohibition failed, kids. We're not doing it again. It's dumb. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the, the the money that the mobs made. Now we know that they massively inflated the prices because they could because they got a monopoly. Um, I think we talked about in an earlier episode that when these things became illegal, things like heroin and cocaine, the price went up by, in some cases, a thousand percent. Right. Yes. Um, so you, it, it puts financial strain on the on the the addicts, the users, mm-hmm. because it's costing them a shit. I mean, so they have to turn to crime to be able to get the money to pay for their medication. Um, and the drug dealers make all the money and, and have to commit acts of violence to maintain their control. And then they buy off cops and politicians and judges, corrupting society. Mm. And then there's no taxation from uh, the the sale of this stuff as there would be if it was a legitimate product. So that money doesn't go back into the public coffers to pay for things like rehabilitation for addicts or education or, or whatever. Community, yeah. It's just... a. It's just a failure on in at every possible level. Prohibition of drugs is a massive failure. Oh, there are going to be three states. I put this on the Facebook, the bullshit Facebook. Um, if you don't get us kicked off, um, three more states are going to put up a vote for legalizing marijuana. I can't remember what they are uh, to the north and west, but I'll put that on the Facebook page. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um. All right, a couple of anecdotes and we'll wrap up. Um, the first person to really notice this culture of terror that the Rothstein gangs were developing was um, a journalist, tabloid journalist called Donald Henderson Clark. Mm-hmm. He was apparently had a bit of a reputation as being a bit of a drunk, um, sort of uh, chain smoker, used to hang out in bars uh, in New York, Um with Rothstein and and the, and the drug gangs, right? He mixed in the same circles, and he wrote, "It's hard to convey the fear with which Rothstein was regarded. Get in bad with a police commissioner, or a district attorney, or a governor, or anyone like that, and you could figure out with a fair degree of certainty what might happen to you on the basis of what you'd done. Get in bad with Arnold Rothstein." <laughs> And all the figuring in the world wouldn't get you anywhere. It's true that nothing might happen to you but fear. But that's an awful calamity to come upon any man. Yeah. Um, Now, uh, Donald Henderson Clark, by the way, this uh, journalist that I'm talking about, ended up becoming quite a famous uh, novelist Mm. and uh, wrote screenplays. Um and uh, yeah, quite a quite an interesting fellow. If you're interested in that period, wrote like 20, 20 books, wow. including Millie and Millie's Daughter, that had movies made out of them. Um, Female Pilgrimage, um, Born Reckless, yeah, cool. Actually, went on did quite did quite well for him. I looked into him a little bit. Um, so yeah, Arnold's men went around uh, spraying bullets across the city. One of his chief guys, Legs Diamond, uh, was shot so many times that uh, he was nicknamed the Human Ammunition Dump for the Underworld. <laughs> 
Oh, you think your job is hard? <laughs> yeah, I just get I just get whingy emails. <laughs> You've been following that email the, the the conversation thread with the guy who wrote yes. the negative Cold War review. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm still not calm. And I said, I, yeah, go ahead. I said, great, come on the show, and he said, I will. And then he didn't turn up. And then ever since then, I've been taking the piss out of him on Facebook. And he's making all sorts of bullshit excuses about uh, yeah why he can't why he can't make it on the show. Big pussy. Well, I'm I'm just going to put this out here because I, I like I said I'm probably going to cuss him out if he ever comes on. But I'm like if if you disagree with what we say, that's fine. I mean, disagree. It's our opinion. That's your opinion. But when he got to the part where his review and they say he said something like, and they've probably never succeeded at anything in their life. I mean, that's just personal or any job they ever had. I can't remember the exact quote, but I'm like, what the fuck does that got to do with it? So he's right, but still, like, <laughs> how dare he? We agree. It's like Fight Club. You don't talk about the failures. Yeah, you would uh, cuss him out. Sure, you, you'd be apologizing within two minutes. I know. No, you. I'm still, I'm still working. Mr. Have, have this like, don't Mr. You Charleston. Yeah, my little my little flower from Charleston. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay. Last anecdote. Yeah. Um, one day, Arnold Rothstein was on the subway, and some pickpocket stole his pearl stick pin. Fuck. Apparently, it's the only thing he ever really loved. Um, and he's having dinner that night, and he explains to some other gangsters how he'd been robbed. Me, the wise guy, what do you think of that? The brain. Well, word must have got out. Uh, the next day, a, packaged, a package arrived at his house with the stick pin and a note inside saying, the guy who took it didn't know who you were. Oh, fuck. That's power. That's, that's power. Yeah. That's fear. Yeah. And that is the end of episode 315 the beginnings of the uh, story of organized crime and the supply of drugs in the United States. I got a feeling we'll probably talk more about that next time. (laughs) And we're probably going to get into Nixon. Yeah. uh, In the next episodes, the seventies, Nixon. Go deep. uh, Where the war on drugs goes to a whole new level, but uh, we'll have to stay tuned for that one. Don't forget to listen to bullshit fill of the news uh, every Monday. Um, I don't have any stories for this week, but we'll I'll make something out. up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bullshit. 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 Bullshit.